Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of On the List. Today is Tuesday, September 18th. I'm your host, Austin Bristow II, joined this evening by Scott Chu. Scott, how are you, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. Just happy to be here. Hey, I'm happy to have you on. Thank you for coming on tonight. For those of you who haven't joined us here on the list yet, uh, each week I'll be joined by a different writer for our Pitcher List staff. We talk baseball, we discuss what they've been writing recently, and we'll do a little mailbag session where we want to answer your questions. So you can send those questions over to our email. That is community at pitcherlist.com. Or if you want, you can send them directly to myself on Twitter. I am at Bristowski. Scott, are you on Twitter, my friend? I am. Uh, my handle is at Chusif Esquire. So it's like <laughs> Jos it's like Joseph, but with Chew instead of Joe. Uh, and Esquire, like the horrible name that lawyers call themselves when they want to feel cool. So put those <laughs> together. That's what it is. That's so good. That I feel like most of us here on the Pitcherless staff have these super complicated hard to explain twitter <laughs> handles because i was talking about this the last time i was on with metzelar and he's like john underscore e underscore baseball and it's just like how do you tell someone that out loud Ugh! like i it makes like tons of sense to me because i use that nickname for everything sure uh, but when I go to try to like explain it to people over the phone, they're like, what was that again? I'm like, don't worry about it. Just call me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get right on into it, my friend. So the first thing I like to do, keep it nice and open-ended. Why don't you just tell me a little, about, little bit about yourself, Scott? Yeah. Uh, so I am um, 30. I live over in a town called Portage, Michigan. That's by Kalamazoo. It's in southwest Michigan. Um, I'm kind of a gimmicky guy. So um, someone might be wondering why my last name is Chu. I'm a quarter Korean, even though I'm definitely also a ginger. Uh, I have deaf parents. Um, and if you think that's unique, that's cool, except I'm a twin. So there's someone else with all of those qualities as well. Uh, I have, you know, I'm, I'm married. I've got a seven-year-old kid who is also, he's an eighth Korean and he's a ginger too. Uh, so we've got that going. And um, as a job, what I do is I'm actually a fair housing advocate. So I basically get calls, find out who's being discriminated against and why, and then try to go punish those horrible, horrible people. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's a lot of fun facts. <laughs> I'd like to, I said, I'd love to get I'm a gimmicky a guy more on that. So, okay. So what is the one thing about growing up with deaf parents that people wouldn't like think about? Like what is one thing that you, it's just your, was just your everyday life that people would be like, Oh, Oh Yeah. So there's a couple things that come with that. So the first is if you've ever been annoyed by like your parents yelling something to you from like across the house, like, Austin, come get your laundry. But <laughs> uh, I can't have that conversation with them like from a distance. We have to see each other to do the sign language stuff. So basically like – God forbid I'd be taking a shower or, um, you know, doing something where I can't immediately go to my parents. I would just have to listen for minutes of them just yelling, Scott, Scott, <laughs> like just yelling the whole time because they don't know where I am. And of course they don't because I can't tell them. Uh, so 
yeah, so um, a lot of that going on. And then the other thing that people wouldn't always get is there was no such thing as sneaking out. I just left, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> if they fell asleep, uh, there was no like sneaking, being careful. Like just don't turn on all the lights and don't bang a bunch of stuff around and you're free. You're gone, <laughs> right? Like they slept in their bedroom. They closed the doors. The world basically turned off for them. So I could just leave like front door. Uh, no big deal. Like start the car. No big deal. I could just leave. Right. So like boundaries became an issue. I, I stopped having a curfew. Like once I was comfortable to ride my bike on a normal road, <laughs> like nice. at that point they were like, yeah, if you really want to leave, you probably could. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. So, Obviously, uh, you can hear me because you and I are not speaking sign language right now. So you are, you can hear, but you also speak um, American Sign Language. So that's super cool. It's, it, it is, except uh, now that I no longer live with my parents, I forget it all the time. Um, sign language is tough because there's not words for everything. So like if I want to talk sports to my dad uh, and like, there's no sign for um, like a suicide squeeze or for curveball, right? And like, so I have to like, I can spell it and, you know, we can kind of make something up for it, but uh, there's no signs for it. And then other stuff that's like totally normal, like potato. I haven't said the word potato to my parents and God knows how long. <laughs> I don't remember the sign. It's just <laughs> gone from my head. I just, if you don't use it, you lose it. Sure. And I just don't remember it. That's so interesting. Because, you know, for the rest, for the most of us who have never had any experience like this, it's just, it's really interesting to hear about these kind of things. And that is exactly why we like to have our staff on. Because, <laughs> I mean, we've got so many weird, crazy, unique backgrounds on the Pitcherless staff here, which is why we got this going and why I love doing this so much. Yeah, it's it's fun. Luckily, I actually I, I say potato, but it actually did come up like two or three weeks ago when I had to say potato. And like, thank God there was actually a potato like in the kitchen. And so I like made my way to it. I had to like, you know, a lot of times in sign language, you have to strategize about how you're going to say this word that either doesn't have a sign or you can't remember it. <laughs> and like I like had to like kind of maneuver my way to be like well i'll just be able to grab the stupid thing and like show it and i'll uh, just i'm good now don't have to worry about it that's awesome that's so cool all right man well tell us a little bit about uh, your fantasy life your fantasy baseball so how many leagues do you play in what's your favorite type etc Oh my God. I'm in too many right now. I, I think, I think it's 10, but it could be 12. And there's like two commissioners out there who hate me because I just forgot it existed. On that note, uh, of the 10 or 12, how many did you make the playoffs in? Oh, uh, well, a couple of them are Roto, uh, head to head. I'm still in the playoffs in three of them. There you go. I got a limp. Well, let's be clear. Some of them are like 12 team leagues with six team playoff head to head so some i'm doing well in some i'm some i'm not um i'm in more roto leagues this year than i have ever been in before so that i didn't realize how crazy september can get even in roto um like i've been in roto before but this year oh it's nuts i've got one league where it's moving every day one through four changes like every day 
because <clears throat> all the battles are in ERA and whip and oh it's nuts but i'm in 10 the biggest mistake i made honestly is i'm in 10 leagues but it's across four different sites so it's such a pain sometimes to keep track of i mean yahoo espn and fan tracks cbs and you know you're jumping around through all of them it it's a lot like if i had to do it again i don't mind being in 10 leagues but i can't do it on four sites sure. but it's a lot of fun my favorite is probably you know, head-to-head categories, just because week to week, if you've got a short attention span like me, you know, it's like week to week, I can kind of focus on it. And it's not quite as simplistic as points, um, just because in head-to-head categories, you can still talk about some of the same stuff you do in Roto. And you can still value some of the traditional fantasy stats, even if they're not as valuable in real life. Uh, You can like totally look at it. Points is such a different game, especially when you have points leagues that subtract points for strikeouts or like the, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's like auto neo leagues where everything kind of just gets real wonky and, you know, certain types of players become incredibly valuable. Like a guy we're going to talk about later and Jeff McNeil, very valuable in points because they're always putting the ball in play and that's how you score. Uh, but those players might have less value in Roto and head-to-head categories. The the guy that was always like this was like Nick Markakis before this year, where plenty of batting average, he'd get like RBIs, a couple home runs, but he was great in points because he got one or two hits every day. Sure. And that's valuable. And so, strikes out. I, yeah, I don't mind Roto. I'm like neutral in Roto. I really like head-to-head categories, and I'll do points if I have to. But the other thing about points – it's all pitcher streaming at the end of the day. No matter how you set up hitters, oh, yeah. it's pitcher streaming. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of my thing. I'm in a couple dynasties. Um, I like – I actually probably like shallow keepers better. Just be, Not necessarily shallow, but like shallow to mid keepers. I find that more fun just because every year there's a little bit more going on. Uh, in in like a true dynasty, you might have two or three years where it's like I don't even look at the standings because I know where I am and it's the bottom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm in I'm in rebuild, and while it's it's super satisfying to make that rebuild, like it's hard and it's long and it's grueling, and you know it is fun, but in a different kind of way. I like keepers. You know, you keep four, keep five, keep six, that kind of thing. So you've there's some value there, but you're also doing some like actual redraft so you know in a dynasty if you like christian yelich you're never getting christian yelich if you don't have him that's never happening you're never going to be able to get him in a keeper you might you know you might have been able to draft him at some point or there's enough you can trade it's kind of fun i put redraft at the end you know it's fine it's fun i guess uh sure (laughs) (laughs) i i got no beef with redraft i gotcha (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I um if you've listened, you know I'm in that one big dynasty and then I've got a couple of redrafts that I do. Um I wish I had a keeper. Um right now I've got those three leagues with Pitcherless being one of them. Um vying for that championship, but KV has just got the dominant pitching going this week and Ugh. I don't know. I think we're going to tie and I think that means he wins cuz he's got the higher seed. But whatever. <clears throat> Um, I wish I did have a like one of those keepers you're talking about, where you only keep like you know somewhere between like three, five, six, something like that, where the re- most of your roster rolls over, but you can keep like the guys you really are high on or you really like stuff like that. So 
I don't know. I like the fact that in redraft you can kind of reset. You can try out different players because I know a lot of times I don't get to know a player if I'm not owning him or looking to own him, trying to trade for him, stuff like that, because I'm so focused on my guys and uh, if they're doing well, if I need to move on from them, stuff like that, that I, I don't know a lot about the guys who I'm playing against. Oh, no doubt. That's that's what's tough in Dynasty. And, you know, like there's communities that do nothing but Dynasty, right? Yeah. Like that's all they do and that's what they love. And they're doing like they're doing minor league drafts of like 15 rounds deep and they're paying attention to guys who might come from Japan in 2020. Yeah. Like it's nuts and they love it and I'm happy for them. But, but that's not me. I can't I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. I agree. Uh Real quick, folks, excuse me for, uh, you know, I'm probably going to be clearing my voice a few times here. I'm getting over a cold right now. Um, if I sound congested, that would be why. I will do my best to turn away from the mic before I cough. So, there we go. <laughs> all right, so, uh, we know all about your fantasy teams now. Now, you're from Michigan. Does that mean you're a Tigers fan? It is. It does like that. And it used to be a lot more fun to be a Tigers fan. <laughs> uh, it used to be awesome. Right. And now are the dry times. Now are the bad times. And hopefully one day, you know, that will turn around. We'll see. But I'm on the other hand, you know, if I want to go to a game, it's super cheap now. Really easy. <laughs> Dude, I'm a Braves fan. I know about how it used to be awesome. Then it got awful. Trust me, you'll get there. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this year. <laughs> you should enjoy it. I, when the Tigers were winning conference championships, we all, it, you know, Tiger. Some Tigers fans might have been delusional, but some of us were like, "Look, we know this is going to end. You can't keep spending a billion dollars every year. Mike Illich is not going to live forever. He's not going to keep buying every free agent that can hit home runs. <laughs> it's going to end. So just enjoy it now. You know, enjoy it. And yeah. so I did. I made sure. sure I did. And now, you know, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have, like, a favorite player from those Tigers teams or, I guess, any other team, really? Yeah, so from those teams, uh, you know, the big three, Miggy, JV, Max Scherzer, probably the coolest thing I ever saw in person was I was at uh, an ALDS game, I think it was. It was – Tigers A's and Max Scherzer came in in relief in like the seventh inning, promptly loaded the bases and then got out of it in like the most tense five minutes of my life. Uh, Tigers end up winning that series, but I remember just going nuts the whole time. Uh, I loved him. I loved both of his different colored eyes. I loved all of it. It was awesome. Uh, I could not have been happier. And then, you know, JV is not a Tiger now, but you can't have watched those old Tigers and not loved him. And then with Miggy, how do you not like a guy who loves playing baseball as much as Miguel Cabrera? Like, even though he's hurt, even though his team is garbage, that guy just loves playing baseball and he's so good. You he's don't have so to know – you don't have to know much about baseball to, like, watch him hit an inside fastball and be like, how did he do that? How did he pull his hands in so fast and turn that ball? Like, he took – he'll take an inside pitch – uh put it wherever he wants and it's an absolute liner and he kind of like chuckles when he gets to first base he goes oh i meant to hit it farther whoops 
<laughs> Didn't get it quite like I wanted. Miggy's a lot of fun. I hope he comes back next year and has at least some, you know, moderate success. He's he seems like one of the better guys in baseball as far as, you know, personality and morals and things like that. He seems like just a good guy. And he's a lot of fun to watch play. He's so good. I mean, like I wish I could tie my shoes as well as Miggy could hit baseballs. <laughs> it's that's my dream. Like just one thing that I could do that's as good as he hits baseballs. Absolutely. So good. It's even even when they're bad, you know, it's tough now because he's hurt. But watching him play, it's like, yeah, we're, we're fine. We're fine. I'll still go to the game. It's fine. Mickey's there. Sure. All right. So outside of the baseball realm, what else do you like to do for fun? Uh, what do you do? For, you know, hobbies and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got a, I've got a kid and a wife and a house. So that gives me like that takes up most of my time Sure. Uh, when I'm not doing that. Yeah, uh, I play soccer. I'm a goalie because I'm not actually athletic, so I need to be able to use like every limb to compete with other people. <laughs> so I need my hands. So I play goalie, uh, which other people appreciate because not everybody wants to get hit like hit in the face, chest, or other areas with a soccer ball, and I don't mind as much. Uh, so I do that. Um, I'm a very amateur fisherman. I basically like when I have a free moment, I go and throw a lure or a worm in some body of water that I can find and see what happens. It's a lot of fun. I don't catch anything big, but like catching anything is a success to me. My wife has explained it as it's like a game, so I enjoy it. And I'm not, you know, there's only so much money I can possibly spend on it because like going to the body of water is generally free. So this is, it's great for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's that's mostly what I do. Don't have a ton of time for other stuff, but it's it's enjoyable. Very nice, yeah. I uh, I have been fishing. Uh, <laughs> it used to be a tradition on Father's Day. We would go fishing with my dad. My dad is my dad enjoys fishing. Um, he's not a fisherman. Uh, his dad did like to fish, and so he would go fishing with his dad. And that's I think that's why he liked to fish with myself and my younger brother. Uh, at some point, we stopped doing that. Um, it probably had something to do with the fact that my younger brother and I would only go because we loved our dad and wanted <laughs> him to be happy on Father's Day. I am a horrible fisherman. I cannot sit still. I cannot stay patient enough to wait for something to bite. And if I sit there for an hour and nothing happens, I'm upset that I have done that for an hour. See, I have the same problem, and that's why I'm a very amateur fisherman. <laughs> uh, I remember my dad took me fishing once, and I think it was because he felt like, uh, for me and my brother, that he's a dad, so he has to take us fishing once. So I'm not sure how many times he's been fishing in his life, but I'm guessing it's a single-digit number. Uh, and I remember like throwing a fishing pole like over some bridge in the town I grew up in called Vicksburg in Michigan. And like catching a bluegill and being really excited and him feeling like, yep, I did my duty as a dad. Uh, that's what dads do. They catch a fish and now we're all going home and we're not keeping it. It's going back sure. and we're leaving. It, and, you know, like I got into fishing mostly because like it was convenient and I had a couple friends that did it. But I'll always remember that as like the most obligatory father moment of, of like between me and my dad. It was it's brilliant when I look back. That's so good. All right, man. So now that we know a little bit more about you and your life, let's go ahead and get to what you've been writing about. Now, you're one of our newer writers here, so we don't have a, a ton to pull from, but I, you did have one piece 
Uh, it was one of your first ones you did for us that I thought was really interesting. Um, let's see, you posted this back in July. So this was posted on July 18th. And uh, it was a going deep piece on Logan Morrison, a uh, player that I have been up <clears throat> and down, on the fence, etc. about since he joined the league. Um, I, For a while, my father and I both were not fans of Lomo. Um, we thought he was crazy, which I'm pretty sure he is still. He is. Day. Um, yeah. We kind of just weren't all about the, you know, flair and the flash and the kind of <laughs> insanity that he had going on with him. But he has been a fairly decent player at times, except not this year. So he's had a rough time this year. And then you wrote a piece on him. And what did you find? So it's really interesting and it really talks about how narrative is such a big deal in fantasy sports and just sports in general. So Lomo, you know, in 2017 just went off, right? He was part of what I called the the uh, launch angle revolution where everybody seemed to get into launch, launch angle and started just jacking home runs. Yonder Alonso was famously one of those guys. <clears throat> And Logan Morrison was one of those guys prior to 2017. Uh, he had never really played a full season in the, like he played maybe one. He had only two seasons before 2017 with at least 120 games. His high of home runs was 23, 2017. He hits 38 bombs, goes absolutely nuts. He was a waiver wire guy that ended up carrying people. Um, and so, you know, 20, 2018 comes around. Nobody wants to sign the guy. He finally signs with the Twins for six and a half million dollars, which is a bargain for a guy coming off, a, you know, a 38 home run season. And he was doing poorly. Uh, he wasn't hitting super well. His batting average was terrible. And I wanted to look at, you know, what's going on. Is he really this bad? You know, was it all a mirage? Did he have one of those miracle seasons? Because if you just look at his you know, if you go to fan graphs or whatever site you use, you look at his, you know, just his stats. You're just the raw five by five stats. You see a bunch of years where he hits the home runs in the teens and then this 38 home run year. And then he goes back, you know, at the time he's back to hitting, you know, looks like he's going to be a 20 home run guy tops. Sure. I try to look and I'm like, is he, did he lose all the gains that he had? And what was crazy was the answer was no. He was doing everything as well, if not better, than he was in 2017. They just weren't making the results. It just for whatever reason, you know, I end up deciding that it's it's just luck. I looked at as many stats as I could, and he was as good or better in like every way in 2018 as he had been the year before. Except, you know, balls weren't leaving the yard as much, and you know, everything else wasn't falling. And of course, I write the article. He plays 14 more games, then goes out for the season with a hip injury. So <laughs> I have no idea if it was actually luck or, you know, now there's a new narrative of, well, he was hurt. So that explains it, which doesn't really jive with what I saw, which was the ball's coming off his bat just as fast. It's coming off at as good or a better angle. It's going to all parts of the field, just like, well, not all parts of the field because he's never been a spray hitter. Right. But. He he was hitting the ball pretty much the same with just not quite as good results. And now we're going to have a new narrative. You know, next year, assuming that, you know, if the Twins pick up his option, um, 
you know, maybe they will, maybe they won't. If not, he'll sign somewhere because someone's going to want a slugger. And we're going to have this new narrative of, oh, you see those those numbers from last year. That's because he was hurt. We might not even look at the fact of how unlucky he was for that stretch of time. And would the luck have ever rebounded? Who knows? He only he never he didn't play 100 games like he only had 359 at bats, which very few stats stabilized in that time. Ah, who knows? And I'll we'll never find out because, of course, again, 14 games after he goes out, he hits four home runs in those 14 games, but was only hitting like 148 during that stretch. So I'll never know if I was right or wrong, but you'll never know. That's kind oh, of the well. weird thing is, you know, you had this great, well-written article, and then it almost didn't matter. <laughs> Which, I, like, I don't want to be mean and say that, but, like, there's there was... Uh, two weeks later, we couldn't do anything with the information because he's injured. And that's kind of the weird part about writing about sports, is you could spend weeks working on something on one player, and then the next day they could blow out their ACL. <clears throat> like, God forbid you're one of the guys that was trying to write up a fantasy football piece on Josh Gordon a week ago, Man, right? right. I, <laughs> Everything's I different now. I agree with you. I don't know who that is, but I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> he just got, you know, all of a sudden he gets taken out of a game. Like, he's no longer going to start. He's traded to a new team. Everything's nuts. Like, and no one expected it. I mean, so... And, and, you know, something that's interesting is the other player I did a going deep on about a week before that, uh, 10 days before that, Avisayo Garcia, who I thought was wildly interesting because he was swinging at everything, missing plenty. But when he did hit it, they were just smoking line drives right between the third base and shortstop. It kept leading to inflated BABIPs. I was like, oh, this is so interesting. And he went on the DL for a long time, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Like, not long after. And, and what can you do? You know, in, in fantasy baseball, if you learn one thing, it's that just trust your process. Look at the players the way you want to look at them. You're going to be wrong a bunch of times because baseball, for as much data as we get, is so random. And so many different things happen that either we'll never predict or we'll never even know that went on behind the scenes. We don't know every swing change, every grip change, every approach change that players make because it doesn't always get publicized. We have no idea. So it's, the Lomo article was interesting because I loved the analysis I did and whether or not I was right or wrong kind of didn't matter and then it mattered even less after he got taken <laughs> after the season. Uh, but a great example of what it's like to write about baseball and just to play fantasy baseball in general because you'll love a guy for all the right reasons and he'll suck <laughs> oh well yeah well you mentioned in there uh you know following your process figuring out uh the things that guys do that you think and you've decided will determine future success because really that's what we're trying to figure out as fantasy baseball players and you and i as analysts our job is to figure out what people are doing right now and what that means about what they're going to do. Because in the fantasy baseball world, in a sense, it doesn't matter what you've already done unless it tells us what you're going to do. And on that note, we're going to move on into our next section, which is going to look at some players who've exceeded our expectations in 2018 and whether or not we buy it going forward for 2019. So... You and I have each picked one guy uh, where they exceed our expectations, uh, one guy where we buy it, and one guy where we don't. 
why don't you go ahead and lead it off with your guy who, you know, went way better than we thought it was going to go, and you just are all about it. Who did you buy it from? If you thought Matt Carpenter was going to hit almost double the home runs he hit either of the two years prior, you know, like congratulations on your fantasy trophy that you'll be getting in the next, you know, one to three weeks, depending on your season. No one thought Matt Carpenter was going to do this, you know, even at his best. He was a 20, 20 home run, you know, 25-ish home run guy who might also get 100 runs. Like that was kind of the big thing about him. He scored a bunch of runs in the top of that Cardinals lineup. And then, of course, this year out of nowhere, he just starts jacking the ball out of the park. He's at 35 home runs today. Uh, I could very, you know, I, I expect him to finish, you know, less than 40, but, you know, obviously more than 35. So, yeah. you know, I, you know, at first it just, when you look at, again, if you just jump to his stat page, you're going to think fluke, how could, you know, how could he do this? He's not a young man. Uh, he's 32 years old. He'll be, you know, he'll turn 33, I think after, you know, during the off season, um, you're not going to want to believe that he can do this again. What I'm going to try to tell you is that he absolutely can and that everything he's doing is super legitimate. And while I'm not, I'm not a Nick Pollock type who can tell you all the little things a guy did, you know, in the technicalities of how he got better. What I can tell you is that if you look at some of the advanced data, um, he's as good or better than he's actually in the box than he's been in the box score. Sure. Uh, a, one great thing to do that I recommend everybody do is when you see a guy who's got what seems to be either a an unsustainable slugging percentage or an unsustainable batting average or something like that jump on over to whatever like advanced stat site you like uh you know maybe it's baseball savant maybe it's x stats and go look to see what their x batting average and x slugging are so their expected batting average and their expected slugging uh both baseball savant and x stats do a great job of tracking what you know what direction was the ball going how fast did it come off the bat uh how high in the air was it and then using those numbers they kind of figure this ball should have landed for a double most times this ball should have landed for a single most times most of the times this ball would be an out so it kind of <clears throat> takes out some of the randomness of each specific you know batted ball and and you know the randomness of actual results and create sort of an expected and if the expected number is close to the actual number then you can feel pretty good that this is all kind of legit uh right now matt carpenter has a 265 batting average and a 541 slugging if you go to the x stats this is on baseball savant his expected batting average is actually 280 his expected slugging is 599 (laughs) he could in fact be even better than he's been in the box score the advanced stats say he should actually be like not just one of the best fantasy players, potentially the best fantasy player this season other than stolen bases. He's been phenomenal. He's smoking the ball. Uh, his his exit velocity is a little bit up from last year, but very good. His, his launch angle is right where you want to see a guy. It's 20.3. You like that number. His hard hit percentage in terms of stat cast data, uh, I'll just, I'll read the numbers real quick. In 2015, it was 37. 2016, 41.7. In 2017, 36.7. This year, because of exit velocity off the bat, things like that, 44.9%. That means 
almost half the balls he's hitting are coming off the bat really hard. And you love that. And I don't know what it is. And there's tons of articles by people a lot smarter than me about what he's done in the batter's box to change what he's done. I don't care exactly what those things are. What I care is the results are real. And the advanced data tells us that it could have been even better. So I totally buy everything he's doing. And if you get any kind of discount for his age going into next season, be thankful for it and cash it in. Sure. So he is going to be 33 next season. Um, with all that you said, you're all in. Uh, where do you think he's going to go next year in drafts? I, I'm not sure. So I have actually done a couple mock drafts so far already. And one of the hardest things about doing mock drafts before your season is over is there are no um, default rankings in the system. Default rankings are the number one uh, influencer of average draft position in any particular format. True. Uh, if you look at, you know, certain guys get drafted earlier in Yahoo than they do in ESPN, and it's almost entirely based on their default ranking. Um, I will be paying very close attention to how he gets ranked on the sites that I use to see if I think that there's value there. I think he very well could repeat the 30 home runs. He's going to keep a lot of his position eligibility, which is valuable. It's not as valuable as some people think it is because like Marwin Gonzalez has tons of it and he's trash. But uh, Matt Carpenter is going to have a lot of flexibility and those numbers play at any position. So I'm going to keep a close eye on it. Um, If I can get him uh, as my starting, you know, I don't know what it's going to take to get him as my starting first second or third baseman but i'm gonna do what it takes probably to get him yeah i'd imagine um you know everyone's gonna love what they saw this year but uh with the age there i think i think the fantasy baseball community as a whole is very ageist uh we're always afraid of being the one holding you know holding the ticking time bomb of when they're gonna finally fall off the cliff i haven't owned um I haven't owned Nelson Cruz in years, uh, and we've, you see how that's gone for me. But um, I would imagine he's going to go right around kind of the second, third round turn, maybe even a little higher. Depends, you know, like you said, on a lot of factors, including those uh, those default rankings. Because I agree, those do affect people a lot. Because when you're just going along and you're like, hmm, who am I going to take next? Well, uh, oh yeah, he's right there. He's just you see him at the top of your list. You're like, yeah. Yeah, it'll work. He had a great season. That'll do. Yeah, I, I'll quickly say in the the most recent mock I did, it was a slow mock, 15 team. It was like NFBC style. So you start like every position, two catchers and a corner and a middle infield and five outfields. Uh, he actually went 56th off the board. So if, if that's his price next year, I'm all over it. Yep. He'll be inside my top 50 next year. Uh, if it's second or third round, that's going to be a lot harder. <laughs> wow. But, Maybe uh, I'm so, higher on him than I thought I was. And, and again, he wasn't rated that highly last year because he just looked like a 20 to 25 home run guy. He was, I think, injured to start the season. There was a lot of up and down. So that might have affected how it was in this draft because his default ranking was buried somewhere and someone had to go and find him instead of him just being in front of your face like, oh, yeah, Matt Carpenter's good. Sure. He was at the top of the list. So, again, yeah, so if I, I'll probably have him in my top 50. And I we'll just see. I will as well. We'll just see where he lands in there. Sure. So my guy... Also a third baseman. 
also in the NL Central. I got to go with Eugenio Suarez. And I've talked about this guy on the pod before, but ugh, he's just so good. Um, he, I've looked at everything that he's got going on this year. You know, 32 home runs, over 100 ribbies this year. Um, he's doing it all, everything but stealing bases. He, he has one attempted stolen base, and he made it, so we'll give him <laughs> that. But he's got all. He's got a 285 average. He's walking, so he's got a 370 OBP, 533 slug. It's it's everything you could want out of a third baseman. Um, and he was going late. I think in my I'm, I'm in a really shallow points league, and I think I even picked him up like the first week because one of my guys got injured like right after the draft, or I drafted a, a player that was automatically on DL or something like that. I think I picked him up. Just in the first week, like, eh, this guy could be good. Well, he's been my starting third baseman all year because I drafted Adrian Beltre as my third baseman. So, um, and looking at this, I always want to, whenever someone, you know, exceeds expectations like this, I always go into those stats like you do and try to figure out, okay, well, what's different? What are they doing different? Because if nothing's different, then I'm concerned that they're, you know, overproducing and they're going to regress back to what they were doing. But... There is a clear difference in what he's doing this year than what he was last year. This year, he is hitting the ball. Uh, he's hitting the ball hard, forty-eight point eight percent of the time. Is that good? To, according to Fangraphs, <laughs> that is third best in the league. So fifty percent, basically fifty percent of the time, he is hitting the ball hard. The only guys who have a better hard hit percentage among qualified hitters, Tommy Pham is at number two. And Matt Carpenter is at number one. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking at that. Last year he hit the ball soft 20.7% of the time. This year his soft hit percentage is 8.5. So he just decided I'm no longer going to hit the ball soft and going to hit the ball hard always. And you know what? I found that that a lot of the times we'll be able to get the job done. Uh, when you're when you're able to strike the ball hard, good things happen, whether it be line drives, um, fly balls, whatnot, it's all going to go well. Even ground balls go through for hits more often. Because if you look at his uh, um, his batting profile here as far as, you know, fly ball, ground ball, line drive percentage, it's fairly static as far as what it was last year. really hasn't changed much at all. His line drive rate's up a little bit. Uh, his other two are down a little bit, especially fly ball. Um, so you wouldn't think with the fly ball percentage going down, but it's not really. It's fairly static. Um, but the difference is he's hitting the ball a heck of a lot harder, and he plays in a great ballpark for hitting. Uh, I always refer to uh, the Great American Ballpark there in Cincinnati as Coors Light. Uh, it is one of the best hitting environments that's not in Colorado. So. I am all in on this guy. He is definitely going to be in my top 50. Um, I, I think I was ranking, I'm working on my 2019 rankings. I'm going to have those posted on the site. I believe I'm going to start posting them in November, post monthly updates on them as far as that goes. Um, and I think when I was doing my third base, he ended up easily within the top five there. So I'm very, very excited about what Eugenio Suarez has been able to pull off. You know, two quick things about uh, about Suarez. Number one, last season or this, you know, during draft season here in 2018, and the NFBC, which I tend to use just because it's easy to grab that ADP data, he was off the board the 19th third baseman wow. taken at on average at pick 186. 
So if that was you, good job. Again, congratulations on your trophy. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, you know, another another very random fact I know because I'm a Tigers fan, and actually Suarez is a, a was originally a Tiger. He was traded back in uh, the offseason between 2014-2015 for Alfredo Simone, uh, who is terrible, just garbage. He's horrible, and I have had to watch every year as Suarez uh, got he gets better every single year he's made. I mean, really the huge jump is, uh, between 2016 and 2017. Yeah. Uh, but he just made another one. This guy's played at least a hundred. He's going to have played at least 140 games each of the last three seasons. He's hitting more and more home runs. Um, uh, he's, he's incredible and you're right to buy it. Everything you said is he, he's so good. He's so good. He's so dependable. He's so consistent. And this he spent time on the DL this year. He did with like, a wrist injury. At the beginning of the year, he had a wrist injury. And I think we forgot that because we always think, you know, wrist injury, the narrative that goes along with that is that it's going to come back and they're going to it's going to sap their power. Nope. <laughs> That's not what happened. He if I remember correctly, he came back early and continued raking. The storyline when he hurt his wrist was, is Nick Senzel going to come up? Are we going to see Nick Senzel? This will be very exciting for third base in Cincinnati. He did not come up, and we still had exciting third base in Cincinnati because Eugenio Suarez was the truth. You're not wrong. I Side note, Nick Senzel, oh, so excited. So <laughs> excited. I hope they... I hope they trade Billy Hamilton. I want them to move Peraza out to center field so that Senzel can play shortstop. I own him in my dynasty league. I've been hyped about this guy for a while. He's he's going to be good. He's going to be real good. All right. So um, I wanted to – I picked Suarez, but as we were sitting here, um, a notification came across my phone that Ronald Acuna has hit his 26th home run in just 100 games. Um, so if Ronald Acuna can be like my honorary mention, oh, I love me some Ronnie. Oh yeah. I mean, he's great. The thing is, uh, God, I can't even imagine where he's going to be drafted in leagues next year. I've seen people saying he's a first rounder. I mean, so in, again, in the most recent mock I did 15 teamer, he went middle of the second round and I was surprised he went that long. Yeah, um, I, I know for a fact I will not own any Acuna next year because I am an avid believer in the sophomore slump. I won't own Acuna. I won't own Soto uh, because people get super hyped on these guys and then they draft them and they're like, okay. That's what happened with, like, you know, uh, Cody Bellinger this year, who's actually had a pretty solid season. It just hasn't been what it was last year. Uh, Reese Hoskins has been worse than last year. Matt Olson much worse than last year. I'm still in on Matt Olson. I'm going to own him everywhere next year. Uh, and you won't have to pay as much to get him. I mean, just real quick, the guys that came immediately after Acuna in this most recent mock I did, Correa, Blackman, Bryant, Kershaw, Baez, DeGrom. I would love That's to That's who Acuna is. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll be able to take Acuna owner over any of those guys. I, uh, one of those Maybe guys Correa? I will. One of those guys I can take Acuna over. And you know who it is? It's my guy that exceeded our expectations this year that I just don't buy it. Javier Baez. I'm sorry, Cubs fans. I know that this is your darling. 
even though Chris Bryant still exists and has beautiful eyes, you've now decided that Javi Baez is your darling. And that's all well and good. He plays beautiful defense. I can't deny that. Uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. But, oh dear God, that plate discipline. I... So, you were saying before, you got to trust your own process. Figure out what you think works and go with that. I hate guys with poor plate discipline. I recognize that you can be a successful baseball player if you don't walk. However, Javi Baez refuses to walk. He has a 4.2 walk rate and a 25% strikeout rate. Now that's not bad, especially when you're hitting 32 bombs and stealing 21 bases. Javi Baez has had a fantastic season. A, a true 100% breakout. And I can't take any of that away from his his soft percent Soft hit rate is down. His hard hit rate's up. Uh, every his line drive rate's up. Everything is trending in the right direction, except his plate discipline. It really hasn't gotten better. Because you would think, okay, well, he must. If he's doing this, he must be, you know, swinging more selectively. He's to have more success. He's got to swing more selectively, or he's just swinging more. One of the two. Those are your options. Either swing more often, or choose your pitches better. Well. Uh, his O swing, which is pitches, his O swing percentage, which is pitches he's swung at that are outside of the strike zone, has gone up since last year. So he's swinging at more pitches outside of the strike zone. His zone swing has also gone up. So he's just swinging more. He's decided, let's just swing more often than I already did. Uh, he is in the top 2%, or sorry, no, he is number two in both O swing and Z swing. So pitches in and out of the strike zone, he is he is number two there in both of those on the leaderboards among qualified hitters. The issue is his contact <clears throat> skills really aren't that much better. So, um, Javi Baez makes contact on pitches outside the strike zone at a 55% rate, which is okay. You're not expected to make contact with pitches outside the strike zone that often. My issue is his zone contact, his in his pitches that he swings at inside the zone, that's also only okay. Like it's a it's below average. So give me one second, I just lost my page. Come back. Um so his um Z contact percentage is at eighty two point five this season. And the league average this season is 85.6. That's league average. Not like fantasy relevant players. That's every player. Makes contact on zone, on pitches inside the zone 85% of the time. He only does it 82%. And he's swinging at pitches inside the zone 79% of the time. That means he's going to swing and miss, even at pitches in the zone, a lot. And he's not seeing pitches in the zone that often. He's only seeing pitches in the zone 37% of the time. Uh, the other night, he um, he was facing Patrick Corbin. And Corbin threw him uh, seven pitches. None of them were anywhere close to the strike zone. He made contact with... Uh, or no, he just didn't... I think he swung at uh, four of them to strike himself out. Or three of them, I guess, would be to strike. No, four. Sorry, I just pulled it up. He swung at four of them. Uh, he made contact on one of them outside the zone. The And he laid off a couple of them, and then he struck out because he swings at everything. And I just don't think 
This is sustainable. I think that if unless he's, his contact skills are going to improve, I don't think that he's going to be able to sustain this next season because at, why would teams continue to pitch to him? He, they've seen how successful he will be. He's going to swing at everything. They know that. That's the type of player he is. Why would teams continue to pitch to him? This is going this is going to sound surprising, but uh, so I had the same exact question to you. Why would anyone pitch to him? Why would you ever give him a pitch in the zone? And I thought, where does he rank among pitchers or among hitters uh, with zone percent? How often they see pitches in the zone? The answer is last among qualified hitters. That's seven. That thirty-seven point five percent zone rate is the lowest. Uh, among qualified hitters, so all 143. <laughs> they don't. Uh, that contact rate you referred to, that 69.3% contact rate, uh, that's not super good either. And by not super good, I mean the sixth worst in baseball, right? Some very notable names appear worse, you know, some notable names appear below him on the list Joey Gallo, John Carlos Stanton, Chris Davis the good one and Chris Davis, the bad one. Uh, they both appear below him because they're three true outcome guys, right? That's, that's who you expect to see on the contact percentage because you just swing as hard as you can. I actually, right. those guys walk. Oh uh, yeah. And those guys can hit 40 bombs. <laughs> so, it, you know, huge. yeah, they're huge. Javi and, is what? Five, eight. Yeah. And they pretty much all of them walk quite a bit more than Javi does. Uh, so that's another, you know, that's another big deal. You know, something that's that was interesting. Uh, the first piece I did for a pitcher list was a going deep on Avdi Garcia. And one of the big things about him was he was very similar, right? Swung at everything. Um, Javi Baez actually has the second highest swing rate uh, behind only Corey Dickerson. The difference is Corey Dickerson makes 80% contact and Javi Baez makes less than 70% contact. Uh, you know, so, I mean, that, that's a pretty big deal. But... Javi Baez showed up everywhere that Avi did in terms of swings everything, doesn't hit everything, but when he does hit the ball, he crushes it, right? Uh, that that profile, like you're suggesting, just really lends itself to regression or luck or bad things happening. And a lot of things are going right for Javi Baez. He's finally getting at-bats. He's finally getting starts in the Joe Madden lineup where – Pretty much everyone not named Brian or Rizzo can find themselves on the bench. Everything's going right. And I'm really concerned that this is the year it all went right. When we look back 10 years from now, that God, it was magical that one year and we'll chase it for the next five. Yeah. Um, and when I'm evaluating players, one thing that I love to see that I can fall back on is speed. And he's got that. He's running. Um, he's got 21 stolen bases this year. Fantastic. He's also got nine caught stealing, so he's not that efficient when it comes to stealing bases. So I love it when you can fall back on speed, but I'm not sure he's efficient enough to let to let his manager, you know, Madden, let him keep running. So, and plus, if he's striking out all the time, he's not going to be getting on bases often because with those guys who don't walk. That's the the only time they get to first base is if they hit a single. So he's not going to have if if things go the other way, if the other shoe drops, he's not going to have as many opportunities for stolen bases. So I 
I am fully expecting Javi Baez to go in the second round next season, and I can guarantee you he will be on zero of my teams next season. Yeah, I I don't see how I'll be able to to buy in at that price either, especially because just I mean, he's I mean, he's good. I, I mean, I can't sit here and say I don't think anyone can sit here and say that Javi Baez is not good. Right. There's a reason we're all excited about him. There's a reason that, you know, everybody kind of wants a piece of guy. But a 294 average, 294. I mean, to just jump over to his X average, his X batting average, which is still good, is 270. But like just everything that's happening for Baez right now, just the way he strikes out, the way he swings everything, just totally see him turning it, you know, having more of like a 25 home run season because he loses playing time because he keeps striking out. I agree. You know, he's batting, he's batting fourth or fifth right now, but in the furious mind of Joe Madden, a 10 game hitless streak quickly puts you back down to batting seventh and eighth, which is what Baez was doing at the beginning of the year. All right. Well, there you go. I see that you've got another middle infielder. Hold up. Did all of all of our, all four of these, not only did we pick only hitters, but we also <laughs> picked only NL Central hitters. That was not intentional, obviously. Um, go ahead. Give us your guy here that you, uh, it's breaking out this year that you just don't buy it. I so I I don't buy it for Jose Peraza. Uh, I you know again you're going to keep hearing me harp on these X stats. Uh, much like sabermetrics were the future 10 15 years ago, uh, I think X stats are the next wave of how we analyze fantasy stats because it regular stats tell us what actually happened. Expected stats X stats tell us what should have probably happened, uh, and with. In baseball, you know, so many things are, are random. So when you can find stats that sort of try to eliminate the randomness, you should recognize that those have value. Uh, Jose Peraza is outperforming his expected batting average by about 20 points. He's outperforming his expected slugging percentage by 60 points. He currently has 12 home runs. Uh, his expected home runs is 6.6 now part of that is because he plays in that tiny little band box uh out in cincinnati but you know 6.6 is right in line with whatever you know everything he's done in the past if you go to espn one of the stats they keep is home runs that are what they call just enough like wall scrapers right they just got over the fence these are not reliable home runs a different park a different day a different wind these home runs can change uh Seven of his 12 home runs are just enough, right? So like five of these home, you know, five of his home runs are home runs pretty much everywhere, but seven of them might not be home runs on slight on things outside of Jose Peraza's control, right? Uh, he's also in the bottom 3% among qualified hitters in exit velocity, bottom 6% among qualified hitters in hard hit rate and barrel percentage. So how often he gets the good wood on the bat. All those things tell me that the numbers he's putting up right now are simply not realistic to expect for Jose Peraza going into future seasons. It's great that it happened this year. I'm happy for his owners. I'm happy for him. But it's just not something I would bank on for next season. There's always a lot of talk and narrative being created about how stolen bases are hard to come by and that you got to get your steals and you can't get it like you used to. 
I can just see Jose Peraza moving up draft boards because they're going to see those stolen bases numbers, which are legit. I'm not at all concerned with him getting 25, 30 stolen bases, right? The problem is everything else you think you're going to get next year, that ain't coming. That's not going to happen. He has not shown that he's good enough at swinging the bat to make that kind of consistent, good contact. Um, I see him as more of like a high average, but lower OBP and very low slugging guy, if that matters in your league. Um, Those counting stats, I think, are all going to come down. Uh, If you care about position eligibility, he will not be eligible at second base next year. This year, he was eligible at second base and shortstop, which is valuable to some people, particularly in like draft and hold leagues or leagues that, you know, um, you have, you know, there's not much on the waiver wire. So wherever you can start a guy is good. Uh, He someone's going to take him in the first, you know, 100, 120 picks. I know they are. uh, And you shouldn't. Because his overall value next year is going to be outside the top 50. Uh, and the worst part is I can already I can already see the chat in the draft room when someone grabs Jose Peraza to be their, uh, to be their uh, shortstop. They're going to say, oh, that's a great pick. Oh, because it's a sexy pick, right? Like, oh, you got these steals. Um, this guy, he, he really broke out last year. He's going to be even better. I just don't see it. it you can make a narrative that this was a breakout. I think a more predominant narrative is a lot of things broke his way and I don't see it happening again for next year. And what that probably means is you're not going to be able to draft Jose Peraza because he's going to get drafted way ahead of his value. The one thing I'll, I got a couple things. I just want to push back a little bit on a couple things there. Uh, those wall scrapers you're talking about, those like barely out home runs. The reason he has so many of those is probably because he p- does play at Coors Light there in Cincinnati. Um, so I'm not. It's a small. It's a small park. With, it's a small park. It's a small park with uh, a wind tunnel. I don't know if I remember this from uh, the home run derby that was in Cincinnati a while back. Uh, there's a gap in the um, in the third deck where wind blows through. It's behind the batter and then it blows out to right center. Weird physics thing, but it <clears> is a thing. Um, so I'm not as concerned about that. And I'll just say one thing here about what we're going to hear about Jose Peraza all off season. The words Jose Peraza and late draft steals or late <laughs> round steals are going to be uttered over and over on podcasts and in, uh, you know, articles fantasy circles everywhere late round steals it's going to be the calling card of jose peraza and i agree with you i'm kind of out on this one i'm very much about the steals guys but i'm not about this one all right well that was fun um like i said we didn't try to make it wasn't specifically we're thinking hitters they just kind of both went with hitters and we definitely weren't thinking nl central just worked out that way so little recap uh for the guys that we are buying the breakout here Scott is all about Matt Carpenter. I'm all about Eugenio Suarez. Um, I am not buying it for Javi Baez. And Scott is not buying it for Jose Peraza. 
All right, to finish out our show here, we're going to go with your questions. So, like I said before, a large portion of this cast, we want to answer your questions. So, if you've got them, feel free to send them to us at community at pitcherlist.com. That's our email there. Or you can tweet them directly to myself. My Twitter is at Bristowski. That is B-R-I-S-T-O-W-S-K-I. We'd be happy to offer analysis on any players you're wondering about or answer any number of inquiries, whether baseball-related or otherwise. So, let's go ahead and get on into it. Most of these here are from our uh, Discord (coughs) server. So, if you guys are interested in getting on that uh, community server, we've got our Discord server. It's got like almost 150 people now, I think. It's a lot of fun. Um, we're just talking baseball 24-7 over there. If you are interested in getting in on that, hanging out with the community and the entire pitcher list and QB list staff, if you're interested in getting in on that Discord server, you can go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash pitcher list, and that is one of our awards over there. So we'd be happy to have you in there. So our first question tonight is coming <clears throat> from Adam Garland. So Adam wants to know, what what is it like creating content for multiple fantasy baseball sites and how do you manage your time in between those things there? so yeah so there's there's two answers to that question uh the first is um i don't work as hard as adam garland also known as garlando our prospects guy uh that makes it a lot easier to handle multiple sites uh i also write over at friends with fantasy benefits uh i do D- baseball dfs content over there uh the main reason i'm able to do it honestly is uh nick pollock our guy at pitcher list justin mason over at friends with fantasy benefits you may have also heard him on sleeper in the bust at Fangraphs. uh they're both awesome and they're really good at kind of letting their writers choose how they're going to contribute uh what they're going to write about they give us a lot of freedom to to do what we can because they know we have real lives uh writing articles can take a lot of time i've been writing a weekly dfs column for five years and i have not yet made it a fast process right so every friday it comes out and it still takes me a ton a ton a ton a ton of time to do it to make sure that it's right because i want it to be good it's not always right in terms of making anybody any money but the process is there i'm telling you i I think the process is there uh even blind squirrels get nuts sometimes i do win money occasionally uh but it's it's a lot of actual work and I think the main thing that actually you know the main thing I have to sacrifice to write more articles is that my fantasy teams don't get as much attention as they deserve because I'm so busy looking up and writing and studying other guys that my own guys I'm just like okay yeah they all look fine I'm good (laughs) I I know this isn't a weekly league but I'm treating it like a weekly league everything looks good on Monday morning have at it fellas you're going to do great. <laughs> so it, it's tough, but uh, it's the time I used to spend pouring into my teams. Now I spend pouring into articles and content. Sure. I, it's uh, very similar to how it works. Uh, for me, the, the thing that I do sacrifice when it comes to making content and also playing and things like that, uh, <laughs> instead of sacrificing time analyzing my teams, I sacrifice sleep. <laughs> that, that also is... I mean, I, I did that long ago. I ever, everything wants part of my sleep time now, so ugh, it's not easy. Man, and it prob- I can't it prob- imagine. Like, I can't imagine ugh. doing all this stuff that you know you do, and also having a kid, and also you know being a lawyer. I, I just I couldn't imagine. 
Well, that's why I'm not very good at it, Austin. (laughs) (laughs) I sure hope you mean you're not good at at writing fantasy content, because otherwise you just claimed you weren't good at either being a father or being an attorney. So I've I've been worse at both. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. That is maybe the hardest I've laughed on this show. That was was really good. (laughs) Thank All right, you. Adam's got another question for you here. Uh, which article that, that you've written are you most proud of? So, funny enough, it the, the two going deep pieces I wrote on Avi Garcia and Logan Morrison uh, didn't end up mattering. Both guys spent extended time on the DL. Nothing really came out of it. But I'm proud of the fact that I, I wrote a type of article I hadn't done before because mostly I had done just DFS content, uh, things like that. So I really dove deep on one player – uh, I kind of looked at things I don't always look at. You know, my Avi Garcia one, I, I was looking at exit velocity plus spray charts, like where he was hitting the ball, how he was hitting the ball to see if the, everything he was doing was sustainable. Uh, with Lomo, I dove into a lot of the X stats to see, you know, if, you know, on a different set of circumstances on a neutral playing field is what he's doing bad or good. And it actually seemed mostly good. I was proud of that. The process was good. Uh, even though it didn't work out, I was very proud of how those, you know, how I was able to develop a process for those. The answer that's going to change though, this, this off season, as some of you might've heard, we're doing some exciting stuff. Uh, I'm going to get a chance, I think to, to maybe do some of the stuff uh, that we're working on like fantasy one Oh one. We're going to, do sort of a beginner's guide to a lot of different parts in fantasy. And that stuff is so fun and fulfilling to write about talking about things that maybe either people don't know a lot about yet or that they want to know more about. Uh, it might be things like X stats. A thing I'd be a drum on a lot is stabilization points. When do stats become reliable? Uh, which is a big deal. You know, we talk about Babbitt for a first half, for example, Babbitt takes way over a season to stabilize and become reliable and any, at any point, if the batter changes their approach or their swing path, you pretty much got to throw the whole thing out. So being able to talk about that, I think, is going to be a lot of fun. So we'll see how it all turns out. You know, Nick Pollock is the mastermind behind what we're doing. So I'm excited to write about that. But so far, it's probably my going deep pieces. Fantastic. Yeah, Nick is – he's the man. He's our dad. It's No doubt. <laughs> all right. So Brandon wants to know, uh, what are your thoughts on Jeff McNeil? So the first thing when I heard about him is, so I'm a big Simpsons and Futurama fan, uh, Matt Granning fan. There, it just reminded me there's a future ep- Futurama episode where they have this like f- this spoof version of Ally McBeal called Single Female Lawyer, and the uh, the main character in it is Jenny McNeil, and like the whole episode, the aliens are like, "Bring us McNeil!" So you know everyone has been asking about Jeff McNeil lately, and I just, in my head I keep hearing, "Bring me, tell me about McNeil, McNeil." <laughs> So, uh, you know, he's he's I mean, he's been a nice little player for the last 50 games, almost 200 plate appearances to talk about stabilization points for a bit. 200 plate appearances is a really small sample size for a whole lot of stats. Right. Generally speaking, for a stat, the stats that become reliable within 200 plate appearances are strikeout rate, walk rate, home run rate and ISO. Right. And. In those four stats, we, we've already learned a couple things about Jeff McNeil, is that he's a very high contact player. He walks some, he never strikes out, he does not hit a ton of home runs, and he doesn't hit for tons of power, 
right? He's very he's very much a slap hitter kind of guy. Uh, we can get, probably continue to expect that. Is his average always going to be as high as it's been above 300? Probably not. But his expected batting average is still 294. So I think we're always going to be able to expect him to be a very high average player, a very net positive player in the average stat. Uh, and I think what that's going to do is play really well into a points league. I think that points players are really going to like him because to score points in a points league, you really want guys who can hit near the top of the order and who can make a lot of contact because the only time you ever score points in a points league is when your guy's making contact or when your guy's on base because he might be able to score a run or steal a base and that's how you get points. So I think he's going to be really valuable in those. There's a couple comps I've thought of right off the top of my head. Andrelton Simmons is a guy that I think sort of comps to him on an offensive standpoint. I mean, nobody's got a glove like him, but in terms of with the bat, I think we're pretty similar there. Uh, prior to this year, Nick Markakis, double-digit home runs maybe, lots of contact, lots very valuable in a points league, maybe not as much in Roto. Um, those kinds of players I think are, are really valuable. Another guy that comes off my you know off the top of my head dj lemayhew another guy that lots of contact high average not a huge walk rate his obp will still be good just because he's got a good batting average uh but, but those are the types of players i'm probably thinking about mcneil which doesn't sound super exciting but there's a lot of value in that sure those uh back-end guys that aren't exciting that you kind of grab as your last pick in the draft they can be guys that are kind of useful as you make your way through the season good thoughts all right so Jake Bridges here. This is a fun one. I like this one a lot. He wants us both to rank these players for the 2019 draft. So if you were making a set of rankings, how would you rank the following players? Javi Baez, Christian Yelich, Andrew Benintendi, Trevor Story, Ozzy Albies, Gary Sanchez, and Charlie Blackman. So one more time, that is Baez, Yelich, Benintendi, Story, Albies, Gary Sanchez, and Blackman. We talked about uh, ranking players for 2019 at this point uh, a little bit already. This is so hard to do without seeing how the the majority of experts and websites are going to do this, right? You're really kind of winging it on your own. I recommend that everybody give it a try. Uh, it's it's really challenging, but it kind of pushes you to see how you're going to rank players apart from just relying on fantasy pros or whatever you use to give you a composite. It's a lot of fun. So what I went with was first Christian Yelich, followed by Benintendi, then Baez, then Story, then Albies, then Blackman, and then Sanchez. But actually, to me, there's quite a gap before I get to Sanchez. I have not usually valued catchers that highly, particularly in a one-catcher league. Uh, Sanchez would be quite a bit after these guys for me. Um, in a two-catcher league, I could see him creeping a little bit closer to the back. Like He'll still be the last guy on this list for me, but he'll be closer to the rest of the pack. Um, but but that's that's how I did it. I got gotcha. you. Uh, we actually have fairly similar rankings here. Um, for me, it's also Yelich and Benintendi at the top, mm. one and two. But I have Story at number three, um, and then Baez. Then I go Blackman, Albies, and Sanchez to, f to finish it out. And for me, uh, those first three, Yelich, Benny, and Story, are kind of on another level than Baez, Blackman, Albies, and Sanchez. I think Belich, Benintendi, and Story mm. are all going to be 
right around the second round next year. I think those are all second round, maybe even creeping like the back end of the first round if people are really aggressive. I think those are second round players. Whereas I think, um, I know, I think Baez will be taking a second round, but I'm going to value him as like a third round player. As same for Blackman, Albies maybe be a fourth rounder, and Gary Sanchez. Ugh, I, I I wanted him to be good, and I think he still could be good, so I think he's still like a fourth, fifth rounder there as well. This list really struck me as like, I want to think of Gary Sanchez plus a bunch of guys who could go 30-20 next year. Uh, like Baez, Yelich, Benintendi, all these guys could you know hit 20 to 30 home runs and get 20 stolen bases. Uh, I, I agree, definitely Yelich and Benintendi at the top of the list. I will be interested to see the narrative on Trevor's story. He's having an outstanding year. Uh, he may have damaged his UCL. Uh, Actually, that's what they, I just, did, did this while go- we've been on, there has been a notification that came across my phone. Uh, no ligament damage to Story's elbow. Oh, thank God. Tests on Rocky shortstop Trevor Story. Right elbow reveal elbow inflammation, but no ligament damage. He is expected back in a few days. So I was very concerned about that as well, <laughs> but it sounds like he's good. And boy, oh boy, I'll tell you what, I am all in on Story. He was almost my pick as instead of Suarez. You know, narrative comes into play for Story because a lot of people were all in on him uh, prior to last season and got burned really badly. I don't know if you remember the beginning of 2016, the guy hit a home run like every other day. It felt like he hit 20 home runs in April. It wasn't actually 20, but it was a ridiculous number. Um, Everyone was excited. He gets hurt and misses like the second half of the season. And everyone's like, oh man, what he did in 300 at bats is so good that he could be like a a 30, 20 guy in 20, you know, in 2017. Of course, this doesn't pan out. He strike ends up striking out way too much. I'm really excited about the growth story has shown. I will be interested to see in terms of value and how he gets valued as to how people talk about 2018 compared to 2017 and whether they think the true story is somewhere in the middle or they think the true story is closer to one of the two years. Uh, that's really going to push where his value is. And I am of the type to believe that 2018 represents a lot more of story than 2017 did. So I'll be very high on him, but I'm very curious to see where he lands in a lot of rankings. I fully expect story to be in my top 25 overall players. Yeah, that make that makes sense. He's, he's awful good. Yeah. <laughs> awful good. Cause he steals bases, man. I am all about those steals guys. He's 26 and six this year on the base paths. That's awesome. He's efficient. He's a ba- he's a burner too. If you check out the um, the sprint speed leaderboards, he's way up there. He's like one of the top guys in the league. So that's we got this. Like you said, narrative is a big thing. We got this narrative that he's a slugger because he went came in and did all that huge home run hitting in his first you know month in the league. He's a burner. So I think people are going to kind of realize that when they go in to check out shortstop rankings and go, oh, I could actually get some steals here. Yeah. And I mean, that strikeout, the way he dropped his strikeout rate, you know, very significantly, um, it was 
30, 31.3 when he debuted uh, in 2016. And last year, he was striking out a 34.4% clip. This year, 26.2. It comes way down. And you'd think it's because he's being more selective. He's swinging more than he did previously. But the key is almost all of that swinging is happening in the zone. And he's got real power. Uh, his zone contact rate has also jumped way up. So he's swinging more, but he's making more contact. It's a beautiful thing. And I, I think it's all legit. And, you know, I think if I was to do this, I, I'm talking myself into story over bias pretty quickly. There we go. So, <laughs> Which would make us have, I believe, basically the, the exact same. same. Well, I exactly. still have Black Moon no. for Albies. Yeah, you did. That's, and Otherwise, I, yeah, I, I could swap whatever. those two back and forth, you know. Yeah. All right. So last question here. It's from my good buddy, Josh Patel. In honor of your last name, uh, what is your favorite flavor or brand of gum to chew? I see what did the play on the name there. I can fire. I can fire right back. It's Big League Chew, as it turns out. Uh, That's actually my team name for like all my fantasy teams now. Uh, This really cool guy named Jory uh, created a little logo for me that so it looks like Big League Chew, but it says like Big League Chew C H U. It actually is good. My son is trying to learn how to blow bubblegum bubbles. Turns out that's really hard to explain how you do that. Like I can do it, but it's really hard for me to explain to a seven-year-old how to blow bubbles with gum. And I'm like telling him what I do, and then I watch him try to do it, and it's not at all what I do. <laughs> so there's a, there's been a lot of struggle. You know, there's I just bought him some bubble tape. You you may not remember bubble tape, but it still exists. They still sell it. It still doesn't taste very good, but little kids love it. And we went through half that stupid thing trying to get <laughs> bubbles blown. And we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> the joys of fatherhood. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that's going to about wrap it up for us. Do you have any final thoughts you want to give us before we sign off here? No, Thanks for having me on. I hope you guys all enjoy the podcast. I hope you all enjoy Pitcher List. I will say that uh, go ahead and join the community. That's actually how I how I started with Pitcher List is I was a Patreon supporter. Uh, I loved the content they were doing. And eventually Nick said, hey, we're looking for more writers. And I, I went out there and gave it a shot. And, you know, I'm not saying that will happen to you. But, hey, it's worth a shot. You get to see a lot of smart people talk about baseball. And that's a good way to get better at talking about baseball. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, then, for Scott Chu and myself, Austin Bristow II, it's been a fun time. Thank you for coming on, Scott. And this has been On The List.